With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy Thursday. We got some fantasy football to talk about. Why the hell not? April 7th. I've had a fantastic day, mostly because I am now a proud Romeo Dobbs lifelong fan. Maybe he'll go in the fourth round. Maybe we'll go in the fifth round, but you heard it here first. This is officially a podcast centered around Romeo Dobbs and the other fantasy football happenings. Got to find out if I'm pronouncing his last name right before I go all in on this, of course. Joining me, as always, none other than PFF Rockstar, the finest analyst we have to offer Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. Dwayne, how's it going? I'm not sure if you've noticed, but um, in the podcast descriptions, I've started giving you like a different title every single episode. I, I have I'm, noticed. I'm enjoying the bit. <laughs> <laughs> I have noticed. I, well, I love the tweet today with father. Um, you are a father. You know, People forget. Yeah, yeah. It just kind of sounded like you were saying I was your dad, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm I'm not quite old enough to be, I don't think, Ian. But uh, yeah, probably close. It's probably borderline. I probably could have done it. Like it wouldn't have been a wise move on my part at that age. Um, yeah, man, I'm super excited. Like again, like talking strategy, uh, talking all the the fallout from free agency. I mean, we, you got rookies on your mind. Look, if I can be on the front end of, of learning who Ian's next Auden Tate, Corderell Patterson, Duke Johnson is, like, man, I'm all for it. I want to, I want to hear all about like Dubs or Dobbs or however you say it. <laughs> You just keep stretching the timeline, Dwayne, then you're never wrong. And then people just forget eventually. I think that's the key to making it in this industry. Uh, today, we got two main topics we're going to be going over. I have 25 players whose stock is on the rise after staying home in free agency. We're going to run through that list. And also, Dwayne has done some fancy dancy reverse engineering of some best ball ADP data. And we've basically been able to touch on, you know, this really important range of drafts, which lines up with our underdog draft that we did on Wednesday. You can catch that stream again Tuesday, Thursday. We'll have our normal episodes on here. Wednesday, going to be doing the best ball streams. And starting next Monday, look out. Going to have some USFL goodness coming your way as well. But, Dwayne, let's focus on the present. And that is the 25 players whose stock is on the rise after staying home in free agency. We've devoted some podcasts uh, throughout this offseason talking about how generally, if you're a player that enters free agency, your team decides they do not want to bring you back and they can't even get a return for you in the trade market, it's probably not good to chase them in fantasy land when they are changing teams. On the other side of things, I think we sometimes underrate the continuity that exists with a player not in the news, not, not changing teams, just chilling, learning their offense, becoming a better football player for their existing squad throughout the winter and spring and summer. Maybe they don't get the same you know, mainstream media attention because, damn it, all these football fans, we cannot go a day without – uh, you know, being obsessed with the sport, which is fine. I'm obsessed with it too. But like last week, we had a draft pick trade taking over Twitter for hours on end. Like go out and touch some freaking grass, people. It's April. We don't need to be talking about how much of a genius Howie Roseman is after just a trade that we're not even going to know the results of for like three or four more years. Now that I got that off my chest, I want to focus on some players who haven't maybe been in the news as much, but because of moves their team has made, I do think their stock has been boosted uh, in the first two months of the offseason. And Dwayne, 
Starts off with two players on the Buffalo Bills, Gabriel Davis and Devin Singletary. Two guys that I think were both, or Singletary, I think was a straddler, which, you know, more and more, the more I use that adjective, the more it just sounds wrong to me. So maybe we should be uh, <laughs> looking at something else there. But Singletary is someone just where. Use the word hedge. Hedge. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be some. Straddler is much more here. fun, though. Like, straddler is definitely more fun. It is fun. So Singletary, you know, we talked about just how great he was towards the end of last season. Now we really did. After that, you know, just debacle of a game against the Patriots, the 14-10 loss where the weather conditions were out of control. The Bills leaned on Singletary as their legit RB1. You know, we had the J.D. McKissick hoopla going on there. He didn't come. They end up bringing in my guy, Duke Johnson. I love Duke. to use all-time leading rusher. You guys have heard the spiel before. With that said, for that to be the only addition in the running back room at this point, save for a Brees Hall type being added later, which is possible. Either way, Devin Singletary shaping up as a big winner. Gabriel Davis as well. I mean, the fact that they have no longer, they did not bring back Emmanuel Sanders so far. They have not brought in a new outside wide receiver. Right now, the only real additions to this uh, Buffalo Bills wide receiver room Resounding Isaiah McKenzie and then bringing in Jamison Crowder, fully expecting them to be splitting the stuff in the slot. So, Dwayne, I hear you when we talk about Gabriel Davis already being priced towards the ceiling. He's not someone in best ball land we should necessarily be focusing on before the draft right now. But based on these moves so far, both Davis and Singletary looking like major winners with more condensed volume, I think, than we could have hoped for entering last season. Yeah, I think we have to go off the base inform- off the information that we have, you know, today. Both of them, to your point, like they've kind of avoided, um, you know, any you know direct hits to their value so far. Um, you know, the the Bills did add Jamison Crowder. They kept McKenzie. But those guys are going to you know play inside the slot, which means the outside role for Davis is really still protected. We just need to avoid like a Jamison Williams, really any any first round receiver, which when you look at, you know, the Bills, I mean, they've been connected with several. Um, lately, Christian Watson has been one. I know we took him yesterday in our best ball draft. So just got to avoid those things. Uh, the main thing for me with Davis, I think you're hitting on the right stuff. I just think it's and you, you've already said it like. I'm not going to draft him today just because I think there's a good chance the Bills take someone and I can. And so even if you are a Gabriel Davis truther and you like him, um, well, then fine. It, it doesn't have to change just because they draft someone. It just means you're going to get a cheaper draft price. For me, if they take someone, it's going to knock him pretty far down the board for me, though. Like right now, I, you know, he's pretty much being taken as the wide receiver two on Buffalo, which I think is fair. Like that's what he is. Um, but it's wide receiver 33 off the board. My guess is if they take a receiver in the first round or in the second round, first round especially, like what are you thinking, Ian? I bet he drops. I bet he drops maybe four or five rounds if it's a first round receiver. Um, Because I think people also want to believe that for whatever reason on Gabriel Davis, I guess it's a, it's a really, the community's pretty split on him. People either love him or they don't, but usually in a situation like this, like if there's enough, you know, negativity around him, you know, from some group, you know, of players, which is probably half the community, like I think it'll spill over like if they if they take a receiver. So for me, it's just about waiting, because even if they don't take one, like his ADP is not going to go up. Yeah. Like I don't think his ADP is going to shoot up from where it's at. And I I've, I saw uh, Dan Arvlosky, who, you know, I think maybe gets even too much shit on uh, Twitter sphere sometimes with uh, some of the stuff he says. You know, I, I, I tend to give, you know, people like him and Colin Coward, like when you're talking that much every single day like not every single thing that comes out of your mouth is going to be uh the most polished thing so cut the guy a little bit of slack there obviously you know has more uh real life football knowledge than any of us fantasy analysts could ever dream of but i just saw him he was talking about the giants and brian dable coming there and he brought up how the giants were like 
one of the worst, not worst, but one of the league's least users of four wide receiver sets, whereas the Bills were like first or second. So I can see that narrative coming to fruition. But at the same time, Dwayne, like the Bills might be first or second. Them and the Cardinals are always one, two, and uses of, uh, you know, 11 personnel with that, or I guess it'd be 10 personnel, excuse me. Uh, yeah. football aficionados 10 personnel uh with that in mind I mean, it's, play, yeah yeah four receivers there in the top with the but it's still team. only like six percent of the total snaps like it's right. we can't the main way to look at can't it have is, yeah, wide receiver. having at least three yeah you're right like it, it's not enough because then like basically what you're like last year the argument for taking gabe davis you know and and like say round 14 15 16 was okay yeah, he's the he's the ten personnel guy, but like, could he overtake Emmanuel Sanders? But at some point, because Emmanuel Sanders is so old, right? If you have a rookie come in that's a high, you know, highly lauded first round pick, I think that's what's problematic. If it's a second round pick like Christian Watson, I don't know that I won't care as much. I'll probably then be looking, hoping for a depressed value on Davis, but getting some exposure because a guy like Watson would be a perfect example of someone that would be coming in you know, from a smaller school could take him longer to develop. I could be wrong on that, right? You know, that's kind of a, not everything we say is the best, a generic kind of narrative. <laughs> um, but I mean, we could see a second or third round pick come in and not immediately earn that playing time. I think Davis would still have a shot, but if they somehow like Traylon Burks or Drake London or Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, one of these guys, you know, fall in their lap and they take them, that would really concern me. And truly has been impressive what Davis has done in just two years in the league, including playoffs. He's tied for ninth in receiving touchdowns, despite not even having this full-time role. Only guys with more receiving touchdowns over the last two years. Devontae Adams, Mike Evans, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Cooper Cup, DK Metcalf, Adam Thielen, and teammate Stephon Diggs. Diggs has 20. Gabriel Davis has 18. Pretty damn good start to a career. He did kick up his targets per route run from 13% as a rookie to 18% last year, which is a pretty good number for someone with his average depth of target, which was a 14 and a half. You know, he's more of an air yards guy. He's not going to probably be involved all over the field. But to your point, the big plays and the touchdowns, um, yards per route run, 1.62. Definitely not elite, but like a step up from where he was as a rookie as a 1.29. So I think – Everything that when you look at Davis, like you can't say that he didn't improve. Like he did, he improved in every way. Um, he ran slightly less routes in 2021. So that would really be the the only negative per se. Um, but as far as his underlying metrics, they did improve. So I think if you're looking for a positive narrative narrative around him and the PFF receiving grade also went from a 66.4 to 72.1. So I do believe that there are underlying reasons to still like Gabe Davis, um, even again, like if they take somebody in the second round. Still just 23 years of age. Best could certainly still be yet to come. Next player, New York Jets running back, Michael Carter. Only real move in free agency was them re-signing Tevin Coleman, who, yeah, was the week one starter last year. But Carter was starting, I believe, by week five. And even after Coleman came back from injury, it still was largely the Michael Carter show. Like when he, when we can bring back someone to the situation that we've already seen the player in question beat out, that's a best case scenario. And other than that, man, they have not added to this running back room. Maybe they could in the draft. That's the caveat with every single player we're going to talk about. We don't know who these teams are going to be drafting. but. Dwayne, like the need for a running back with the Jets is like they're in a better spot this year than they were last year. Like if they weren't going to use a day one or day two pick last year on the position, I don't think we should necessarily assume that they're more likely to do so this year after what we saw Carter do, which was 
really be awesome, man. Like this is not holding on to, I, I think sometimes with Kenneth Gamewell, when I see him as hyped as he is, I wonder how much people are just holding on to his pre-draft assessment and everything. And they're kind of discounting everything. But Michael Carter, man, I get the fourth round draft capital, but when you were this freaking good as a rookie, I just think it makes sense for him to get more opportunity. And I have more confidence in the Jets trusting him chart I yeah. pulled out um, a lot throughout the season is basically trying to look at running backs who are the best individually, trying to remove their offensive line, their environment from the equation. The two metrics we use for that missed tackles, force per carry and yards after contact per carry. And my God, the group of players that he finds himself in Rashad Penny, Nick Chubb, Javante Williams, Josh Jacobs, and Dearness Johnson, who were all pretty freaking awesome last year running the football. We also saw Michael Carter catch passes, show the ability to protect particularly when Mike White was under center. Dwayne, again, we got to make it through the draft just like everyone. But right now, man, Michael Carter, if they don't draft a running back, I'm not super convinced that his stock's necessarily going to be shooting up like more than a round or so. He could be someone right there, you know, in the mid-late rounds where we are, probably not late rounds, but in the middle rounds that, hey, he all of a sudden is priced as an RB2, RB3, and he might just have the chance to get that RB1 workload. Yeah, I, I think Carter will shoot up if he avoids something in the draft. I think he'll shoot up probably 12 to 24 spots. And here's why, because, you know, once you get to the quote unquote dead zone, um, which may not be so dead this year, but people are going to want to profile the younger backs. Right. I think there's a chance, you know, people will skip over Zeke for him. Um, I think, you know, as you start to look at the ages of some of the other guys, like people will gravitate to Carter. The other really great thing about him, man, um, you know, not quite at like the McCaffrey, Alvin Kamara level, but man, targets per route run 23%. Like that's just one tier below those guys. And he's a guy that when he came out of college, you know, some of the best film guys in the industry, like Jay Moyer, like had already pointed out, like what a good receiver this guy could be out of the backfield. So you got the film matching up with the first year data, which is always a good thing you want to see. Yards per route run, man, 1.48. So the other side of it for Carter. So I had him in my strategy article yesterday, also as a straddle, um, <laughs> kind of like I'm straddling yesterday and today. I got my same shirt on, uh, but I took a late <laughs> shower yesterday, everybody, just so you know. Um, anyway, didn't even need, put any new uh, product in the hair. Just woke up, came in here, and just started jamming. But, it's a great um, day to be great, Dwayne. It's a great day to be great. Like, it's kind of poking up back there. But um, anyway, um, like, if you look at Carter, the other the, the plus about him, like, if you want to go ahead and get some exposure to him now, I, I think it's good to, you know, wait a little bit. But also when he's at ADP or below in best ball, I want to go ahead and take him. Because I think if he, if, like, to your point, if they don't take, you know, a back, I do think his ADP is going to go up. But if even if even if they do take one like th those numbers as a receiver are already so good and you already hit on the explosive stuff, I think there's still a chance like even if he's in a committee, he's probably going to have the receiving down work. I do think there's a really good chance they take it back because the Jets have they're not going to do it with pick four or pick 10. Obviously, but they have two picks in the second round, 35 and 38, and they've got a third rounder pick 69. Oh. So. Really, you gotta. You, those three picks are gonna be key. You gotta avoid the two third, the two second rounders, and that third rounder. I could see them bringing somewhere, you know, someone in like a Zamir White, bringing in more of an early down kind of big guy that can come in and pound, work around the goal line, do that sort of thing, and then really let Carter kind of be like really more their speed slash passing down back. Um, which I think can still be productive if the Jets' offense can take a step forward. But in the end of the day, like. Let's say they do take it back and he falls to like seventh or eighth round. I'm still going to get exposure, man, because we want exposure to talented players. He's already checked all the boxes we want to see as far as talent goes. Yeah, he doesn't have that high you know, draft capital, 
that like this is the profile of a player I'm still going to want exposure to, even if they take someone. Next up, Cleveland Browns tight end, David Njoku. Still not in a great position. We've talked about him likely still having the split snaps with Harrison Bryant. Maybe there's even going to be a third party to rotate three tight ends like they did last year. But we have a franchise tag. We have, you know, Njoku now doing April Fool's jokes about requesting a trade, which, again, kind of ironic because, like, you were seriously requesting a trade, like, multiple times over the past few years, dude. But on good terms with the Browns now, he got that eight-figure franchise tag. It seems like both sides working towards, you know, a long-term deal. And Austin Hooper, one of the highest paid tight ends in the league, now resides in Tennessee with the Titans. So, Dwayne, like, I don't think Najoku, we've gone through our tight end ranks. I don't think either of us have him even in our top 15. He's still objectively in a better spot now with that financial contribution, with the tight end committee from three to two, and with Deshaun Watson under center for, you would like to think, at least a handful of games, you know, as early as 2022. So, we got Amari Cooper in town, but there's a chance that David Najoku finishes as this offense's number two pass game option. It's a bit of a leap of faith. I mean, he's totaled only 82 targets in 29 games with Kevin Stefanski as the Browns head coach. He's still just 25, though. We've always loved the athletic profile here. I mean, seriously, like you want to take a lonely fantasy analyst from six to midnight, show them this dude's player profiler page. <laughs> Dwayne, I think Njoku is a perfectly fine target in that late round tight end range. He's not someone I'm going to rank, you know, 12th or 13th to make sure I get. He's still in an objectively better spot than he was two months ago. Yeah, I think really it's just all about tiers and he belongs in kind of, you know, once you get past the tight end ones and you get into the tight end twos and you've kind of got a, a tier of upside guys based on traits, I think Njoku's there. We've talked about the issue being we could very we could still very likely see Harrison Bryant, you know, rotating in, former fourth round pick. We've seen them use him. But overall, to your point, like he's like it's been a positive offseason for him. Right now, you would have to argue he's either the second or third target on the team. Um, you know, to me, this is probably a Mari Cooper's the one going to get 20 to 22 percent of the targets. And then you're going to have a bunch of guys like between 15 and 18 percent. You know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, David Njoku, hell, probably Kareem Hunt, you know, is going to have a shot at like 12 to 15 percent target share this season just because they're so limited um, and they don't have really draft picks to do anything else with. But we could see one of those guys out of that group step up and really be the two you know, to your point. And, and Amari's never been one to hog like 30%, right? Like no. he's always been more of a 20 to 22% guy, probably all he is. So there's going to be plenty there um, for Njoku. Um, it's just a matter of, you know, when do they get Watson back, that sort of thing. You could even argue Donovan Peoples-Jones pretty solid. We knew he wasn't going to be like the outright number one going to next year. So to get someone like Cooper that I don't really expect to be overlapping too much in their uh, route trees, probably DPJ could continue to be the field stretcher. And to your point, uh, you know, Cooper never been someone that's exactly uh, vying for 150, 60 targets on a yearly basis. To only have Cooper and then Jakeen Grant was the other addition at wide receiver. Uh, I think you can say it to a lesser extent, nice little win for Donovan Peoples-Jones as well. To me, if you knew Watson was playing the whole season, season basically donovan people's jones would be your comp to mvs who's going yep. like six or seven rounds ahead of dpj that's 100%. an arbitrage play love it indianapolis colts wide receiver michael pittman wide receiver paris campbell and tight end mo ali cox we just had players drop off and the spots have not been filled yet both zach pascal and ty hilton are seemingly going to be playing somewhere else uh, pascal is already on the eagles hilton 
I don't think he's coming back. He's not retiring. He's made that clear. I would think if he was coming back to India, it would be done right now. We'll monitor the situation. But it's looking like Michael Pittman, who was already going to be the number one receiver, more establishes that than ever. And now suddenly, Paris Campbell, you know, sorry to all you Ashton Doolin stands out there, but it is looking like Campbell, if the season started tomorrow, would be in starting two wide receiver sets alongside Michael Pittman. Obviously, moving from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan is an improvement. Dwayne, I saw you had a tweet out a couple of weeks ago like every area to the field, Matt Ryan is more accurate than Carson Wentz. Even in a down year last year when Ryan didn't have really anybody to throw to throughout most of the season, he was still better than Carson Wentz, who honestly, I think he's almost getting dragged a little too much recently. Can the Colts go more than like two days without uncovering some other reason why they hated the guy? Like he didn't kill anyone. I mean, like I, I don't know that Carson, I'm not denying that I wasn't in the locker room. I, I have no idea how good of a teammate Carson Wentz is, but Maybe we could spend our time. You know, Seems like they would like him after what they were able to flip him for. I mean, considering. You know. Right? Like, come on, guys. Like, I, I know the Jaguars. I think they're just probably pinning the Jaguars game like completely on him. And you know what? When you lose to a fan base dressing up as clowns, that would be tough to get over. But basically, we got the quarterback upgrade. We've lost some of these like auxiliary wide receivers that were just kind of um, on, on silhouette. I don't even know how to say that word. We'll, we'll focus on using other vocabulary than, than that word. And then tight end Mo Alley-Cox. We have Jack Doyle out of the picture. So Dwayne, basically like Pascal and Hilton are gone. That's great news for projecting Paris Campbell. And without Jack Doyle, similar to what we just talked about in Cleveland, not a given that Mo Ali Cox is going to take over. I think Kylan Granson's probably going to still be fairly involved. But even if we can take the nightmare three tight end committee down to two, it's a positive. Yeah, I think what this has done is it makes Paris Campbell and Mo Ali Cox nice late round targets. And right now, like you have to feel great about Michael Pittman. I mean, talking about a player that went from a 1.37 yards per route run as a rookie to 1.95 um, targets per route run, um, 16% to 22%. He actually accounted for 24% of the team's targets last year. I mean, PFF receiving grade went from 62.6 to 79.9. So, like, everything was aligning for Pittman. Looks like he's going to be the, you know, has a chance to grow into being the alpha on the team because the pecking order is wide open. And, oh, his profile also looks like it's ascending towards that direction. So it could be that perfect mixture of, you know, chocolate meets peanut butter. You know, we're going to have a Reese's peanut butter cup here with, with Michael Pittman. <laughs> if he was a candy, that's what Michael Pittman would be. Remember that Family Guy skit when uh, Reese's got invented? It was like the drunk driver was uh, like eating a chocolate bar and then the cop was like uh, eat, eat, eating some peanut butter and they crash and all of a sudden like another cop tries it and he's Officer Reese's and then he just kills both guys. Yes, and, Reese's. and it, it kind of, that kind of came off of like the, you know, you were probably not even born yet again of the old commercial. There's, there's a dude walking one way down a street and a, and a woman towards a corner. And one guy's eating a bar of chocolate and the woman, for whatever reason, is like got a tub of peanut butter and like they just bump into each other and he <laughs> dips the chocolate bar into the peanut butter. And she is like, she's, she's like, you put your chocolate in my peanut butter. He's like, no, you put your peanut butter on my chocolate. So anyway, that, <laughs> that was the Reese's commercial. You'll have to go look that up, Ian. Wow, I just got boomered. That's my bad. Uh, Total boomer. I remember I was out of, sitting at a bar one time and I think it was a Santana song. Or no, it was. I found out basically that Santana had covered a song. I, I don't think it was Evil Ways. It was um, it was a jam though, and I heard the original version. I think was by the Monkees. And like I told this older guy next to me at the bar, I was like, "Man, like I, I just I really prefer the original version of the song." And he was like, <laughs> "Listen, youngster, like this is the original <laughs> version." And I was just like, "All right, I, I'm really sorry for ever opening my mouth to you, but next group that has improved throughout the off season, back on topic here, the entire." 
Denver Broncos offense. Obviously, you had Russell Wilson to town. That's going to help. But even elsewhere, man, we've had some of these more crowded position groups even out for us. Melvin Gordon is still not re-signed. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Dwayne, at this point, though, for him to not be in there, even if Gordon is back, I think we could at least maybe elevate Javante to more of a 60-40 split. Seemed like it was trending that way anyway. He was the better running back last year. Gordon was still good, but I do think based on just how long it's been for Melvin Gordon, he's over the 1,500 professional carry mark that we talked about with Tajan. Um, stuff throughout the offseason so Devontae obviously got the touchdown upside and with Gordon still not there it's looking good for him Cortland Sutton Jerry Judy Tim Patrick having the upside from Russ being in town and keep an eye on that KJ Hamler knee recovery um, I think I, I forget the source so excuse me uh, whoever pointed this out but apparently not exactly just your you know cookie cutter ACL tear might be a situation where he is either on the pup or just not really going to be as much of a factor either way with Sutton and Patrick having those long-term deals at the, from the end of last season. I think we can confidently project Sutton, Judy, Patrick in some order as the big three. And then Alberto with Noah Fant now in Seattle. He is established as their number one tight end. They didn't really bring in anybody um, in free agency to make us think that's out of the picture. I think we're going to see these just prices continue to creep up, Dwayne, because it's looking like a top 10, top 12 offense. But right now, Russ and Javante are the only two guys in fantasy land that are really being priced that way. I'm actually, I'm very interested to see what happens with this because um, I was just, you know, looking at some stuff this morning and you know, for this article we'll talk about in a minute. But I mean, like Jerry Judy went from really going between rounds eight and round nine to now he is, I mean, it's a tight grouping. Like, you know, if you look over the last seven days, it's like a over 20 drafts over on FFPC. Thanks to Fantasy Mojo for this data. Um, he is going between rounds four and rounds five every draft like there's only one outlier one time did he make it to the sixth round so he's really getting a tight grouping and that's all happened since the rust trade um very similar thing going on for Cortland sutton just slightly behind judy people seem to favor uh judy slightly more probably because he's the younger guy got the first round draft capital so we get that last year he was hurt so yeah i mean i think these are guys that i will be interested i don't think i don't know that judy can climb much more than that um, I think Sutton could potentially climb a little bit more. And I definitely think Albert O. Albert O's already made a big swing too. Like Albert O like was nowhere. Like he was, yeah. he was basically like round 17 type thing going on. And now that you've got, you know, Russ in town and it makes sense, man, like these players are moving up, but he went from being basically around 18, 19 pick to Albert O is consistently, now this is tight end premium, so it's going to be a little more than what you would get in a non-tight end premium league, but he's going between rounds eight, and rounds 10 so Ooh. like wow like he has shot up you know eight rounds basically great stuff out of denver and yeah that sutton judy debate is going to continue to i think be one of the major storylines of the offseason them Dallas Cowboys, Michael Gallup and Dalton Schultz, big time winners. I mean, Gallup, we need to see exactly when he's going to be back from the ACL. I understand he actually didn't have surgery until early February, but getting that five year, 60 plus million dollar deal, the Cowboys having the confidence to part ways with Amari Cooper. It's good news for Michael Gallup. He now projects as the number two pass game target in Dallas. If everyone's going to be healthy across 17 games and looking at where he's being priced right now, man, in that wide receiver three wide receiver four range, 
look, he has the role seemingly that Amari Cooper was going to have. I know the injury plays a part in this, but there's no way Cooper would be going outside the top 20, 24 wide receivers, I think, if he was back in Dallas. And we didn't have to worry about Michael Gallup there because that was the problem in Dallas, similar to Tampa Bay, when all three of these guys were healthy, much harder to figure out where the targets are going. Like, there's a reason why in week one, like CD and Cooper both had like 13 and 15 targets because Gallup was injured after the first quarter in that game. So something to keep in mind with Gallup. And I think the same point, applies to Schultz, but the other positive we get here, like Dwayne, we're, we're both, we both consider ourselves Cowboys fans. We've watched all these games. I, I'm open to the idea that Blake Jarwin was a higher upside tight end for this offense. I think the Cowboys paid him accordingly. Couldn't stay healthy really for the better part of the last two years. And he's not released. So even if we all kind of look at Dalton Schultz, you know, you kind of rank the top six, seven tight ends in fantasy. I think we all agree that, you know, your Kelsey's, your Wallers, your Pitts, Andrews, Gronk, you can name all these tight ends. And they, I think are better real life players than Schultz. Looking at those targets, looking at them coming back into the league, reigning number one scoring offense, the more condensed targets we can get, the better, man. Yeah, I think these guys all took a big step forward. And and there's, you know, there's speculation that Dallas could look at like Traylon Burks, you know, former, you know, Arkansas guy, Jerry Jones went to Arkansas. Like there's these connections. They've had him in for, you know, a private visit. They, they saw him at the combine. Um, but typically when I look at visits, it's more around like, position like are they seeing a bunch of receivers are they seeing a bunch of tight ends that sort of thing and Dallas is definitely visiting with a few of each position I don't think the tight end class is good enough to worry about I think mainly for Gallup he's just got to avoid someone like Burks or somebody like that falling to Dallas and they decide they take them I think Dallas would be would be better served Ian to probably take an offensive lineman but I wouldn't I wouldn't disagree, you know, with a wide receiver pick. But my thought is if you think if you like Gallup enough to go ahead and pay him and you moved on from Amari I mean, why not go ahead and grab a guard? Why not go ahead and grab, you know, a tackle if you think that can really help, you know, Dak have a little bit more time, maybe help the running game out. Um, so I think that's the main thing. We just got to see what happens with the draft. Um, but yeah, for Gallup, um, if we start hearing positives around his ACL and he avoids that, I, you know, somebody going in the first round round to the Cowboys, I think his ADP will definitely start to climb. I think it's a, it's a tad low. It's probably low. It's low. It's fine where it's at with the unknown around the ACL and the draft. But I think if he makes it past those two things, he's definitely going to be a guy that can climb. Minnesota Vikings tight end Irv Smith, someone that I brought brought up plenty throughout this offseason, still just 23 years old, new offense with Kevin O'Connell coming from the Rams where Tyler Higby barely left the field. Irv's only problems in his short three-year career was one, splitting time with Kyle Rudolph. It was, and I always kind of comped it to the Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz situation where Rudolph and Ertz had kind of been there longer. They, they weren't playing bad by any stretch and they, they were just still going to have that role despite Goddard and Irv Smith arguably being the better and uh, not arguably they were the younger, uh, more athletic talents, you know, during that point, but that's no longer in the picture. Tyler Conklin took his talents to the New York jets, which is huge. We don't even have to worry necessarily about a rotation, all signs are pointing up for Irv Smith. I was really impressed with what he did his first two years, having that draft capital from Alabama. It's just, you know, everything's pointing up for Irv. And I think, Dwayne, some of the stuff we've talked about with the Denver Broncos being a stack that really has some upside and it's affordable, I think it's also really true for the Minnesota Vikings, other than Justin Jefferson, of course. But if we are going to be, when we will be every Wednesday for the rest of the offseason, in these best ball tournaments, I know you've been a proponent of maybe taking Justin Jefferson as high as like the third overall pick. 
if you get Justin Jefferson in round one, man, I think you should really be looking at just completing the Vikings stack because Kirk's going outside the top 12 QBs. Adam Thielen's like a borderline wide receiver three. And Irv Smith is still prime in the late round tight end conversation. Like, God forbid, Dalvin Cook does have legal problems or the shoulder injuries flare up. We can see this be more of a pass first offense in 2022. Like we're bringing back guys like Patrick Peterson who have no business being a starting cornerback in the year 2022 at this point. I don't know if leaving Mike Zimmer is going to produce, you know, a better version of the defense. Like that doesn't make sense. Minnesota Vikings, man, like I like them. I don't like it. I love it. As you would say, Um, I love that plan. Um, Yeah. Basically if you're at the second half of the first round right now in drafts, like it should just be an auto pick. Like you should like, once you get to Derrick Henry, just get Derrick Henry and the name becomes Justin Jefferson from then on in the first round. Um, you know, he was two picks away from us yesterday, Ian, but you know, ah. we'll, we'll, we'll get him. Um, but no, what you're saying, like, I mean, look, we got a former second round pick. He's only going to be 23 years old in Irv Smith. Um, he had made uh, a step forward in year two when went from 2000 2019, you know, had a 63.3 PFF receiving grade in 2020. He had a 75.4, of course, last year got hurt in preseason, missed all of that, you know, due to the injury. Um, but just looking at his targets per route run, you know, they are sorry, his yards per route run. They also went up from a one. 0.02 to a 1.30. So not, not great. But remember, it takes tight ends a little time to get going in the league. We've yeah. talked about it multiple times. So if Irv Smith were to come out and really flash, like, would we be surprised? Like, I just don't, I don't think we would be. And look, Thielen is getting a little older. There's a chance that like the number two role in the offense, if Smith can take a step forward, could really become Irv Smith. I think that's in his range of outcomes is that Justin Jefferson's the one, he's the two, and Adam Thielen is the three. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think based on where the two players are in their career, in the new offense we're going to see them run, I think it's in the range of outcomes. There's only a handful of tight ends that if you look at them and you you even say number three pass game option, there's only about 10 or 11 of them. I, I, I'm not going to pull up the, the list right now, but there's only about 10 or 11 that actually had that opportunity. Irv Smith is one of them, and so is their next guy on the list. Actually, three members from the Chicago Bears. Tight end, Cole Komet, wide receiver, Dono Mooney, and running back, David Montgomery. It's just a matter, Dwayne, and you know we were kind of talking about the Bears a little bit yesterday or maybe the day before. We talked so much during the week. I can barely keep track sometimes, but the Bears, it's been frustrating to see them not make more of an effort to surround fields with weapons, but they might just be waiting towards the draft, and I do think investing more in the draft than free agency is a good method. I just really hope we're not coming back here on May 1st and you know we're looking at the Bears draft and they didn't use any of their you know slim remaining day two picks on the wide receiver position, but basically as things stand right now, the following guys are no longer with the Bears after being on the squad you know, in 2021. Running back Tariq Cohen, running back Damian Williams, wide receivers Alan Robinson, Jakeem Grant, and Demir Bird, and tight end Jimmy Graham. So one, it's just kind of the common theme here, Dwayne. We've had like competitive depth charts and position battles, borderline committees, and when we're losing parts of that, it's great news for the guys remaining. So Darno Mooney looking like one of the cheapest true number one pass game options in all of fantasy right now. Cole Komet firmly in that late round mix. And Dave Montgomery, we're not positive he's going to have a three-down role. It is a new offense, but we've seen him handle that before. And man, like he, we haven't had to worry about Tariq Cohen over the past two years because he's been so injured. But having him, man, it's like equivalent to like J.D. McKissick in terms of just like the total target share that dude is capable of bringing in. So just having the chance to, again, you know, be flirting with that 50-plus reception mark for Montgomery is absolutely massive for, you know, trying to argue that he should be one of the running backs to target in that RB2 range. For sure. I mean, look, here's the thing. David Montgomery was going as a fourth round pick last year. 
And so now he's still a fourth round pick and you've yeah. got, you know, all these other guys gone. Um, so I, and he's shown that he can be involved in the passing game. Like he's not an elite receiver out of the backfield, but he's good. He can do more yeah. than just catch swing passes. Like we've seen him on bullet routes, Texas routes, you know, out and ups. Like we've seen him do different things, you know, throughout his career and they could use him even more in that way. Um, so yeah, I like Montgomery. I, I know s- some folks will point to, well, he doesn't really have an elite trait, which I, I agree with that, but he's still a young enough back um, that I think this could be the year where they just let him, you know, run with it. And again, they don't have a lot of other options. So I think they're going to figure out how to get David Montgomery involved. But I think RB 20 right now going around four pick seven on average, I have no problem, you know, taking David Montgomery in that range, especially like if I start off with three receivers and in that range, I think James Connor is fine. David Montgomery is fine. And then if you want to lay off of backs again for a little bit, or if you want to come back, you could take ETN the next round and then lay off of backs until like round eight or nine. I think those are viable strategies. Yeah, Montgomery, he's in a, he's in the group with a lot of backs that I think we're more confident they're going to be in multi-back committees. Montgomery kind of sticks out as someone that might be able to uh, succeed that. Why did they call it a Texas route, Dwayne? You're from Texas. You should know this. Just because it looks like the side of the state. It's an angle. <laughs> makes, makes sense. I'm making it up on, on the way. I want to I get you. to the bottom. Well, while you're talking, like, I will go ahead real quick. And, like, just looking at um, Darnell Mooney, like, he's a really interesting player, too, because he's still going. He's wide receiver 31. So people just – they're kind of, like – they're not sure if they want to be in on him or if they want to be out on him, you know, in fantasy right now. But, you know, round six, pick 12 right now, you know, as the wide receiver 31 off the board over at FFPC – um, you know, which starts two receivers and you have two flex players. So, you know, if you want to play four receivers, you can. So I think he's, he's very viable um, yards per route run, targets per route run, um, even PFF receiving grade. He's checked the marks on all those things. The only thing really against Mooney, to be honest, um, is the fact that he wasn't taken high in the draft. Yeah. Texas. Yeah, it looks it looks like I, I think you're on to something there, Jim. It's uh, it's called after the state, you know, just absolute madness uh, right there. Let's talk about putting stress on the middle linebacker, though. I don't know, man. Just I played in this messed up defense in high school where uh, it was like a four two five, and they made me. I was our cat linebacker, so I had A to C gap or C to opposite A gap uh, responsibility. But I also had to fucking carry the number two receiver on my side deep while playing, you know, four yards off the line of scrimmage. So it's fine when the number two receiver is like a fullback in the I formation. But, you know, 2010, 2011, they start making the number two like a slot receiver. And, hey, if we're in uh, central Ohio, that dude's like certainly probably going to be faster than me. So, uh, yeah, I hate, um, you know, I hate modern passing offenses, Dwayne. What can I say? Just let me go ram a fullback in the hole in ISO. That's all I want to yeah, do. You, Don't make you, me- you were a sub-package guy, early downs. Don't make me move backwards. I was listening to – um. <laughs> Oh, what NFL? I think it might have been Emmanuel Sanders. He had that uh, NFL hit, and it was a pretty entertaining. Was that him who was talking about it? Someone was talking about how, like, Dan Marino, it was saying he'd throw, like, 60-plus touchdowns these days and all these quarterbacks. Basically, the argument was that offensive players from back in the day, they look at today's game, and they're like, oh, my God, I would – Jerry Rice said he would double his career production. So he would have, yeah, cause you can't touch him. You can't touch him now. The jams that they used to face and the penalties that were ba- yeah. penalties, things that are called penalties, you know, today, like we're happening every single play multiple times on a play and Which things, a lot things, a lot worse than what we call penalties today. We're happening. We're happening on every single play. So yeah. What Michael Irvin and Jerry Rice and even Randy Moss, Chris Carter, all these guys, I, I'm with them. Like they totally, you know, and look, this it's, but what's cool about it, it's opened up the game 
for more types of receivers yeah. to be viable in the league because it's now it's such a game of space. Um, you know, you can't you can't touch the receiver in the first five yards. You know, you can't grab onto them. All that I mean, you can chuck them in the first five yards, but you can't grab them. You know, so it's just made it. It's opened the game up more. We can get different types of players on the field, and that's where a lot of the speed comes in. Those guys used to think about it, man. Like back in the day, like if you were a fast little slot receiver, like you were lucky to be drafted, like in the fifth or sixth round. Just, <laughs> yeah. just wasn't something you do. Now you could be a second round pick. Dude, because like if you go over the middle, if you don't even if the ball's just overthrown, it doesn't even hit your hand. Like you're just getting your head taken off regardless, and people oh, would just laugh about it. So I hear what the old timers are saying on offense, but it's just funny how it's the exact opposite on defense. Like I look at football now, and I never would I dream of acting like I was ever you know a threat to even play D one or anything like that. But my point is like it a sucks slow for defenders, a slow linebacker who would now have to like deal with the modern passing game would be an absolute nightmare. Like who was that um, linebacker for the Steelers in the nineties? That was just like a freaking tank in the middle. I think he like was number 90 something like Jack Lambert. Uh, no, it wasn't Jack Lambert. It was in the nineties, but I don't oh, know. Like, 90s. Oh, Oh yeah. Oh man. Keep going. You tell me that dude's going to be carrying like Kyle Pitts down the seam. In yeah. The all those old three, four run. linebackers. Yes. Those, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just all a, huge. Was it just Lloyd? a different game? I think it was yes. Lloyd. That's yeah. it. What a freaking monster. So shout out, <laughs> shout out Lloyd. Detroit Lions wide receiver. We're getting off topic today. I, I like it though. Detroit Lions wide receiver Monrath St. Brown is a winner. Yes, folks. I'm, you know, I remember the morning of the DJ Chark signing and everyone was losing their damn mind over this stuff. It's not just that though. If you look at what the Lions have done at wide receiver and going to last year, like it was just such a joke of a position uh, that they had. It was like the least amount of cap space in the league was devoted to wide receiver. They only brought in a Monrath St. Brown. It's a little bit similar to like what we were talking about, Michael Carter and the Jets. Like there was nothing stopping the Lions from really addressing that position room more last year, and they really didn't. And now here we are a year later, and it's kind of starting to look that same way. They re-signed Josh Reynolds. They re-signed Khalif Raymond, both who were just on the outside of the formation for the heavy majority of last year. And they signed DJ Chark, who is projected to basically join them. If not, I would guess based on the money, probably start over Khalif Raymond. Either way, though, we're not impacting Amonra St. Brown. Like, Dwayne, Amonra, we've talked about how good he was as PFF receiving grade, the group of guys he's in. It's not like that we were going to be completely out on Amonra St. Brown, even if they had added more, you know, higher-end receivers to the group. But at this point, we're only probably looking at them, you know, bringing in, like, maybe a day-two guy because we know it's not going to be a wide receiver at pick number two or anything. They could always trade down a little bit. But at this point in time, I'm not even sure what wide receiver they could add where we'd have to, like, significantly drop Amonra St. Brown. He's a low-end wide receiver, too. I don't expect him to catch eight balls every single week. He doesn't have to. We'll take five or six. With That's the best Jack part. Jared Goff's still under center. That's the best part anytime you want to talk, you know, Monroe. People are like, no way you can do what he did last year. And, you're, and the first thing is like, nobody's saying the guy's going to catch eight balls a game. Like, come on. Like, we're not even Is he going to be the number overall? Is he going to be the overall wide receiver to the entire season? No, but that's okay. Yeah, but you know what? Hey, he, the upside is definitely there. Like, you, you know, you just go on a run where you're getting 30% of the targets every single week down the stretch. You know, you're a top six fantasy player pretty much that whole time. Like, look, I mean, it definitely had my attention. Um, the thing with St. Brown, to your point, like he's just slipped a little bit in ADP, you know, since the DJ Chark signing. You know, he still he's kind of got – he's one of these guys that has a wider range on him. But right now you can pretty much, you know, according to Fantasy Mojo, you can get him in FFPC drafts in round six. And sometimes now he's dropping down to round seven. Whereas before the DJ Chark signing, you were having to take him sometimes in round four, but most typically going in round five. 
absolutely sexy and i have here on the screen showing Dwayne's fabulous article analyzing historical rookie pff receiving grades and yeah i mean the list of rookies to have a grade of 75 plus from 2011 2019 obj terry mclaurin michael thomas mike evans keenan allen aj brown tyree kill doug baldwin chris goblin cooper cup stefan diggs juju smith schuster jarvis landry hunter renfro tyler Lockett, aj green there is not a miss on there, man. I'm not going to bet on Amon Ross St. Brown being a miss. This is yeah, great. This is yeah, like the yeah, opposite yeah. of all those terrible, um, you know, like you see 20 terrible receivers and Devontae Adams, and you're like, oh, well, maybe yeah. this rookie receiver <laughs> will be Devontae. Like, it's the opposite of that. We don't need to overthink this. And the beauty is it worked. didn't matter about draft capital. didn't matter where they were drafted. The other okay. thing I loved about it is the fact that it identified players that didn't even get enough playing time to really, like, score a ton of fantasy points in their rookie years. So, yeah, yeah it is – it's one of the coolest things that I've seen this this offseason. Fantastic stuff. Tampa Bay running back, Leonard Fournette. I don't un, people are just hesitant. They're really hesitant on James Conner. Uh Dwayne, we did see Fournette go as an RB1 last night. So I think people are starting to wrap their um, heads around it. But look, last you year. You also Irvin, put the invite out, and we've talked about him a lot. So I, I would true. like to see what it's like <laughs> in a draft where we know we haven't invited people that listen to us all the time and just see what happens. But he is, he's slowly rising. Sorry, you keep going, man. You're good. Only McCaffrey had more receptions per game than Fournette last year. And just in terms of expected fantasy points, only Derrick Henry, Najee Harris, and Alvin Kamara were higher. He was a top five running back last year. He had a top five workload, and he's back in the same offense. He has less early down competition without Rojo. And for them to only bring in Giovanni Bernard, a scat back who we already saw Lenny beat out by the time the midway point of the season came, it's just been a best case scenario for Fournette. So he got paid. Like, I just, I think people, if you are holding it, anything against Leonard Fournette, like, I think it's just probably the Jacksonville thing still. Cause ever since he's come to Tampa Bay, man, it's been nothing but fantasy success. Even in 2020, like, you look at that playoff run, you look at what he was able to do at the end of the season once they really turned the backfield over to him. Tom Brady's back under center. This dream scenario for Fournette like we had that New England Patriots like meeting going out there not only just for RB6 right now you could argue that he could be up there in the top three potentially yeah I mean he was one of the only guys one of I think five in last year to score 18 or more points per game in fantasy um, as far as running backs in a PPR format. And so when we look and he finished his RB6 on the season um, after missing time. So, yeah, what more I think do we that, want? yeah, there's upside for Fournette. Like he's he all he has to do is avoid like, you know, the big, you know, f- whatever reason, like the Bucks were to take Brees Hall, you know, at the end of the yeah. first round. I don't think they're going to do that. Mel Kuyper's mocking, you know, mocked that in his most recent mock. Um, but I don't know how plugged in Mel is these days. Um, I haven't seen anybody else do that. But, yeah, man, for me with Fournette, I think he's going to be fine. Um, and, and the beauty, they did re-sign Gio, but he took the passing down role over from Gio last year. It wasn't just because Gio got hurt. He basically just kind of said, okay, Gio, like just that's nice, but you can just go sit down because I can handle all this. And even in the games where Gio was involved, I think I mentioned this yesterday, or like you said, I don't know when. So one of these days, um, even in the games where Gio was involved and in getting out there on some of the passing downs, Fournette, like even when he was in that 60, 55 to 65% snap range, which is solid, but not as 80% weeks that he had at the end um he was still finishing man inside the top 24 running backs every week because he was still getting involved in the passing game still a big threat to score touchdowns because it's in he's in such a good offense so yeah i i love fournette like if he got up into the second round i i wouldn't want to take fournette as much i would then want to definitely limit exposure but as long as he stays at the end of the third 
early fourth round. Like I think he's somebody that's, it's just tough, man, to pass on him. There's just too many things that add up for Leonard Fournette in 2022. Only six running backs actually did average at least four receptions per game. McCaffrey, Fournette, DeAndre Swift, Austin Eckler, Najee Harris, James White. One more running back did reach that mark only when the team's other running back was out of the picture. I'm, of course, talking about James Conner when Chase Edmonds was hurt. It was just incredible what he did without Edmonds in the picture, even with Edmonds in the picture, man. Overall, PPR RB5 on the season, and we were just seeing you know nothing but RB1 goodness when Edmonds was missing time with that high ankle sprain. So Conner is right there at Fournette as someone that we saw ball out last year. They had the exact sort of every down roll. We've seen this same offense give them that every down roll and for some reason folks just seem to be hesitant on still treating him as the rb1 that all the numbers say that he is i understand taking your justin jefferson's your you know even like your aj browns of the world before james Conner. i'm not going to disagree with you there but again let's not hold like some problems that happened in pittsburgh against james Conner, who got paid and is back in this likely high Dude, right now offense. you can go ahead and add t higgins to that list you could take three receivers and then take james Conner. sure <laughs> like i mean it's, like it's to ridiculous. me yeah, and I look, I get it. People that, 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 you know, point to, well, he didn't do anything special. But again, like he's done it before and he doesn't have, he's not anywhere near like the 1500 carry mark that we're so worried about. We may have a different conversation next year, but I think for this year, Fournette and Connor are both safe. Three more players, Arizona Cardinals teammate Rondale Moore, you know, someone that Dwayne and I have talked about at length throughout this offseason. His ADP hasn't really changed right now. He's still going in that you know end of the wide receiver four range to even wide receiver five. I think some people that are kind of catching on will hopefully be moving him up because like he's in a very similar situation as Gabriel Davis, where we're going to see him now presumably starting even in like two wide receivers, probably three, but when the hell the Cardinals ever use only two wide receivers. So it's a moot point, but Gabriel Davis already has the boost in ADP. And I don't think Rondale has gotten that just yet. Like last year, he was the number five pass game option more weeks than not behind Hopkins, AJ Green, Christian Kirk, and Zach Ertz. Even the running back sometimes worked ahead of Rondale. Now we have no AJ Green. We have no Christian Kirk. We have no Chase Edmonds. Like we could, that's huge, man. We could even see Rondale getting more snaps in the backfield, which is something that has happened briefly and Kingsbury has talked about. So say what you want about Cliff Kingsbury, fake sharp. That's fine. I'm not anointing him or crowning his ass or anything like that. But he's not exactly a liar from what he tells the media in terms of his wide receivers. Last year after the draft, he talked about how they had Hopkins and they had A.J. Green. Rondale was kind of in the mix with Christian Kirk and the other guys. Was that a smart move? I don't think so. I think Rondale Moore would have been better off playing ahead of A.J. Green. But Cliff at least told us that. Now this offseason, he's telling us that Rondale should be there in the slot and starting in a much bigger role. So same price, Dwayne, for someone that's now going to be presumably number two, worst case number three pass game option. Sign me up for all the Rondale Moore. I'm not sure if there was a player I was more pissed that we didn't get in the best ball draft last night. Yeah, I don't, I don't see a scenario where Rondale Moore doesn't move up in, in ADP, right. even if the Cardinals spend an early pick on receiver with all the guys that are gone. Like he's a second year guy, which we've talked about in the past. You know, I've got an article up on PFF where you can look at, you know, we use old FFPC from Fantasy Mojo, used draft trends to look at the types of players that move up wide receiver. You know, second year wide receivers are one of the main groups of players that just move up through draft season. So by by the nature of being one of those alone and having, you know, draft capital of second round, and then we're going to get to projection season, Ian. Like once the draft is done, 
all the analysts are all going to do their projections. And guess what? Rondell Moore is either going to be the number two or number three target everybody's going to project. So then they're going to move him up their rankings and then everyone's going to be reading those rankings. You know, so I just feel like it's going to be really tough. Um, and we got Cliff Kingsbury already coming out, like you mentioned, and saying that he's going to play the Christian Kirk role. I mean, that enough that's enough by itself to light the fire. So you got the coach already talking about, you know, the kind of stuff that fantasy community loves to hear. You got a second year player, which we know is going to move up anyway. You got vacated targets, you know, and then the fourth thing, you know, you still got, you know, a situation where all these projections are going to come out, which ties to the vacated targets. Like there's no way he's not moving up in ADP. Like you should be, you should draft him every time you can right now. There's just weird like assumption going around. I've seen like in my mentions when I talk about anyone on the Cardinals too, that like, oh yeah, you'll have a good eight weeks and then Kyler will, you know, just turn into a pumpkin and not give you anything during the second half of the season. Just realize, you know, if I understand, we, preferably every single fantasy player we have is peaking in the championship game. But those points in weeks one through eight, pretty damn important too. And I don't even, you know, based on the injuries that Kyler suffered, I don't even think that's man. Side note, experience. but I love what people are doing with Kyler. Like people yeah. are just like, man, uh, you know, I've got him in the top tier with Josh Allen. I'm fine though. If you just want to put him in the top five, we've talked through this. But right now, like, dude, Joe Burrow is going ahead of him now in the FFPC. Like. Kyler Murray is a round six pick seven player. Like that's in the range where, man, if he's there, like even though you know you can get Brady and Russ Wilson and all these guys in the rounds after, and we'll talk about like what the later rounds look like in a minute and what you can do there. But man, I'm 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 gonna jam Kyler Murray every time he makes it to that pick because I think he's one of two players in the league that could put up five thousand yards, you know, and seven, you know, passing and seven hundred fifty yards rushing. Like I don't think there's many guys that can do that. Falcons running back Cordero Patterson, obviously one of, if not my single favorite player in the NFL. But no, guys, I have my objective fantasy analyst hat on here. This was always his best case scenario coming back to Atlanta. I understand Mary downgrading from Ryan to Mariota is not ideal. But my goodness, Russell Gage isn't there. Calvin Ridley got suspended. Like the only running back they've had is Damian Williams. We can see Cordero Patterson. There is a version of the simulation that we live in where Patterson leads his team in rush attempts and finishes second in targets behind only Kyle Pitts. That could happen. And I know he is now an elderly running back, but my God, out of all these, you know, running backs that are 30 plus years old, Patterson easily has, you know, the least amount of wear on those legs. He just went for 1154 total yards. I mean, 11 touchdowns last season. That's how many he scored in 2014 to 2020 combined. I would be all over fading him if he went to a different team, but he's back with the one team that we've seen give him this featured role. We have the Atlanta Falcons Twitter account unironically sending out pictures of Cordero Patterson, like the biggest guy walking out onto the field. He is like their team, right? He is their offense right now. And it's ridiculous that this is the world we're living in, but it is, Dwayne. He just got paid $10 million. I'm not worried about Damian Williams. I think he's more of a factor for Mike Davis to worry about with some of the early down stuff. Cordero Patterson, he's going to have the same role that made him a fantasy darling for, before he sprained his ankle against the Cowboys. And it's another point I brought up where, like, I do wonder how the consensus narrative would be around Patterson and Ezekiel Elliott if they had gotten injured and just not played the rest of the season. Because Patterson did try to play through the pain and he was kind of unsuccessful doing so, we seem to see the Falcons not really put as much on his plate. We have people looking at, like, the last six games of the year and I think unfairly holding that against CPAT too much. I'm not saying he's going to be the guy that he was for the top 10 weeks of the year i'm not projecting him as a true rb1 or wide receiver one in fantasy but he's back on the same squad he has somehow less competition for carries and targets and once again Dwayne, 
he's, he's the offense. So if we can get this dude as an R, low-end RB3, why the hell not? Yeah, I mean, when I look at Patterson, like people are just like, – I get it, he's older, but he doesn't have a ton of wear and tear on his body. Um, I get it. Like people could throw all these things at him and say, look, well, here's a question mark, here's a question mark, and they would all probably be valid. But my only response is it's around 9, round 10 ADP. Like, I mean, come on. Like even if the Falcons draft someone, you know, in the second round, like say they take Brees Hall and bring him in. I know Brees is the name we've used over. I don't care. Kenneth Walker. Any, any back that you say they bring in early and we know that they're going to create a committee. I mean, aren't we already expecting that anyway? We know right now in the range of outcomes, like, you know, Corderell Patterson could lead that backfield and touches. But I think the way you and I are ranking him is we're expecting like someone else to be brought in. And even if they are like, he's still worth this ADP. Why? Because before the injury, the explosive plays were there and we know he's using the receiving game. And we know Arthur Smith has unlocked him. He moves him all over the field. He doesn't keep him in the backfield all the time whenever it's like third down. Like he'll put him in the slot. He moves him out wide. Um, losing Matt Ryan, you know, that that I think hurts him because they seem to really kind of have a mind meld um, that they had going. Um, but at the end of the day, like, look, he's going to get targets. He can make explosive plays. He could also add something, you know, in the return game. You know, you get a free touchdown here or there as a returner. I, I don't I don't see – I can't, I can't imagine having like a super hard take saying you shouldn't take Corderell Patterson when he's a ninth or 10th round pick. Like if he was a fifth round pick, like I could see somebody having more of a, sure. a hard take. No, you can't, you got to pass on Patterson. Okay, great. But man, again, ninth or 10th round, like especially in best ball where you don't got to pick the weeks, like Patterson's a great value. Like why should he be going behind either of like Damon Harris or Ramondre Stevenson? Like some of these running backs. You wouldn't are- have started those guys over him in the first eight weeks last year. Amen to that. <laughs> Last guy. Maybe in a standard, but definitely not in a PPR or a half. We don't talk about standard here. We don't. Uh, Seattle don't Seahawks. Means, like. <laughs> Seattle Seahawks running back Rashad Penny. I think you guys have probably noticed the common theme here. A running back that returns to their original team, even if they are getting a little up, bit up there more in age, we can deal with far more easier than if they do have to transition to a different offense. Last five games of 2021, Penny handled 17, 13, 17, 27, and 23 touches. I'm sure won a lot of you uh, your fantasy football championship out there if you were lucky enough to snag him on the old waiver wires. So, Yes, the Seahawks offense is not going to be nearly as good without Russell Wilson under center. But as we've seen, Dwayne, look at 2020 James Robinson, look at 2021 Najee Harris. You don't need to be in a great offense to be a great fantasy running back if you just have that sweet, sweet volume. And it sounds like Penny's going to have the first chance at getting that. I understand that we can only take maybe one of every 1,000 things that Pete Carroll says as truth when it's regarding his players' health or playing time. He did go out and say, though, that Penny will receive the first shot in the backfield. And when that first shot is against someone that, like, there seems to be a chance that Chris Carson doesn't play again. Is that fair? I'm not trying to be a dick. I don't know specifics, but it's a neck injury that every time we hear any descriptions about it, it sounds terrible. So I hope Chris Carson goes back out there, has a long career. He's one of the most entertaining. He reminds me of Marion Barber, the way he just seeks out Byron contact. Ryan. So yeah. fun to watch. Um, but if that's the guy that like we're thinking about maybe coming in and bringing in competition and we're getting some words from Pete Carroll that it might not even be a competition, depending on how well Penny plays. That's someone where once again, Dwayne fifth round. No, same thing with Cordero Patterson. If we had to go, look at Penny versus a bunch of guys in the top 24, I would be out on him for some of these concerns. But as long as folks are going to keep ranking him outside the top 30 running backs, I think Penny is, you know, are shaping up as one of the premier, like, 
like you said, once we get the projections after the draft and everything, Penny's going to have the workload of a running back that should be going a lot higher than where he's going. Yeah, I mean, to me, he compares like to someone like Kenneth Walker, who's moving up in ADP. Um, and I think with Rashad Penny, as people start to wisen up to what the true nature of, of what we're dealing with with Chris Carson, which I think is going to be unknown. <laughs> I don't think we're going to know going into the season. I don't think we're going to be I don't think we're going to be told. But if for some reason, like we see that Chris Carson isn't practicing, like we'll know that Like if he's not able to practice by now, like Rashad Penny is going to start moving up, you know, in ADP. Um, and that's really the only thing holding him down. Obviously, he's had the injuries in the past. But to me, you balance that with how explosive of a player he is. He's a for former first round pick. But like if you look at his um, you know, explosive rushes, which are 10 yards or more, like he's up. And again, I know limited sample size, but played really well down the stretch, you know, from that you know standpoint last year. Um, will the Seahawks probably get someone else involved on in passing downs? Yeah, but if he could pretty much take like say 60% of the rushing attempts, even on a bad offense, as explosive as he is, I think he's going to provide value um, between round seven and nine. Right now he's going around nine, pick one. All the Rashad Penny got some highlights playing, you know, okay. I know the Houston Texans didn't have the best run defense in the league, but some of these are like you said, man, explosive runs Penny put together. Uh, it certainly gives you more like, he's not just a volume guy that we're hoping for. I think he's actually been good during his time in the league. Unfortunately, injuries robbed him of the chance to really cash in on that first round uh, draft capital. And, you know, we saw Chris Carson, I think be good enough to hold him off uh, for a long time as well. So 25. The way I think about all these players real quick, Ian is like, at the very top of the draft, what you should be drafting is like where we know we've got the elite talent and it's matching up with opportunity. They have both. Then as you go down the draft, like you really start running into, okay, players that may be more, I don't know, average to above average in talent, but we know they're going to have opportunity. You're making decisions between those types of players and players where we have more question about their opportunity, but we know that they have the underlying traits. They have the talent. And so really – Penny fits like in that last bucket in my mind. Like, we, yeah, we have some questions about what's going to happen with him, but there is a path that he could take. And I think we probably both agree, like, if he's healthy, I think he's the better option than Chris Carson. And so, like, he's kind of the opposite of and, – and I'm not using this to bang on James Conner. Like, we like James Conner. He's, 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 an, he's an above average back, though. Like if, if James Conner was in a total separate situation, like we wouldn't like him as much. We like him because of where he's at with the Cardinals. We've seen him produce there and that works out really well for Conner. So I think that's the thing you got to think through. It's really hard. Like, and I hear people poke holes in all these things. I'm like, well, you do realize like once you get to the eighth and ninth round, the guys that are getting both of those things guaranteed volume and they're super talented. They're not there anymore. They're all gone. So you're either, you're making one bet or the other, like you're either betting on the talent to rise or you're going to make a bet on the opportunity. And that's really up to you as the drafter. And I think the third factor uh, you can put in there is like the overall upside of the offense they're in, which, yeah, Seattle Seahawks, I get it. We're not, you know, exactly jumping through hoops, trying to get exposure to that offense. But again, in the ninth and 10th round, we can look past that a little bit when we are checking those other boxes. So that yeah, was so that's like the quality of opportunity. Can you get opportunity, the yeah. quality of opportunity, and then the player's talent? It's those three things absolutely again that was 25 players whose stock is on the rise after staying home in free agency you can check that out on pff.com that article is free but we do have some blocked article content out there some rankings some behind the paywall stuff and i invite you to check that out using code 20 using code fantasy to get 25 percent off any pff subscription again all that locked article content or nfl draft guide done by mike renner completely unlocked mock draft simulator fully equipped with player trades now 2022 free agent rankings down in 
greatest from the entire 2021 season, all that and so much more. Support the pod and use promo code FANTASY for 25% off any sub. And also shout out to our fine sponsors over at Manscaped. The only true guaranteed quality pickup this season is Manscaped, the leaders in below-the-waist grooming. The Manscaped Performance Package 4.0, your skill position will be sleek and smooth enough for a sub 4340. Support us and head to manscaped.com and use the exclusive code PFF at checkout for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PFF. Turn your Mr. Irrelevant to a first-round pick with Manscaped. Dwayne, I'm long-winded. I know uh, that was probably supposed to go 30 minutes, and we're going to spend the next 30 on what you're talking about. You just want to push push out to Tuesday? Is that cool? Yeah, we can come back to it. I'll give it a teaser so folks can, you know, if you want to go check it out tomorrow, it'll be up on the site. But essentially, it's really about looking at where do we think, you know, there's value later in the draft. And I'm pretty much focusing not way later because we need the rookies and all those sort of things, you know, to shake out. So when I say way later, I'm not necessarily looking at like round 18, you know, stuff like that. I'm really looking at, you know, okay. In like the mid rounds, rounds five, six, seven, and then, you know, the mid to late seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, those rounds, like what are the positions that we're the most comfortable with? Like meaning, Hey, if I waited on quarterback, like how long could I wait? If I waited on my tight end one, how long could I wait? You know, because every year that's a little different. You need to know where those cutoffs are. You need to know which positions you have more confident confidence in. Because then as your early part of your draft unfolds, like say, for example, um, this year, we'll use tight ends as an example. This year, I think the in FFPC per Fantasy Mojo data, eighth round is really the cutoff. You need to have your tight end one. And that's a tight end premium format. Right. So if you're talking your normal league that doesn't do one and a half points per reception for tight end, it'll be a little later than that. But most likely these tight ends will still be grouped, you know, in a similar way than what you're you know, as to what you're going to hear me say. So right now in the eighth round, you can still get Rob Gronkowski, Zach Ertz and Albert O. OK, Ooh. so you can have any one of those tight ends. So what this tells you is if early on, like you take a you don't take a Kittle, you don't take a Waller, you don't take any of the other tight ends that go before that you need to basically be earmarking like as you go through your draft and that doesn't happen. You're like, you know, I need to earmark my eighth round pick. Like it needs to go to tight end unless you're comfortable. You know, you want to roll David and Joku out there as your tight end one. I'm, I'm, you could do that. Right. I'm just saying, if you want like kind of the last round of where you can feel really good about either upside or a solid role, it's really there um, for me. And so what that does is it just allows you that as your drafts going again, that you don't self-sabotage later. You know, you're thinking about the way you're handling your draft. It could make you decide, okay, do I want to use a pick on quarterback? Can I, should I, all those sort of things kind of come into play, but we'll focus mostly on round seven through 10. And and all I'll say, man, there's a ton of flexibility this year. You can get your QB one between round seven and 10. You can get your tight end one between round seven and 10. You can get your running back threes and fours. You could even make it your RB two if you want to take multiple running backs in this range and where you're just hoping basically each week one of those guys hit. Um, and man, the upside at receiver. Let me just name these because like it's so freaking hot. Uh, <laughs> like looking at this, like it's uh, you got Kadarius Tony, a second year receiver. You got Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Drake London. You know Ooh. all the top you know rookie names. And these and the other thing is. These guys are going to move up. Like once the draft happens, these players will not stay in these spots. Brandon Ayuk, yeah, he's in a he's in a solid offense, but it's really run centric. But again, like we were talking about a minute ago with Rash, Rashad Penny, Brandon Ayuk has shown us that he can do it. So like he's one of these talented year three players. We already talked about Rondell Moore. He's in that he's in that group. Chase Claypool, another talented year three guy. Rashad Bateman, a talented year two guy. Um, so I mean, man, receivers like when you get there there's going to be a bunch of guys you like. So it could be really easy 
saying that, you know, I'm going to take my wide receiver four and five in that range. And maybe that gives you flexibility to think about what you're going to do in your early rounds, you know, differently. The, the bottom line is there's going to be a lot of flexibility this year, but you still need to be intentional and you need to be planning because while I'll see a lot of guys do, you know, or players do, they'll, they'll be drafting, drafting, drafting. They get to that round and think, imagine like you could already have five, six receivers on your, on your team and you get there and you see these players still sitting there. It's going to be hard to lay off of them. But if you don't have a quarterback or a tight end at that point, like you're going to have to have the discipline to go ahead and do that. So if you know you don't have that willpower because you can't say no to Rondell Moore and you can't say no to uh, you know uh, Michael Gallup's also in that range, to you can't say no to Traylon Burks, well, then leave your wide receiver four or five open so that whenever you get there, you know you're going to get one of those guys, maybe two of them. So it's just it's just helping you think through, okay, if I do this early, what do I need to think about later? Because I know what's going to be available. Great stuff that we will be going over in far more detail on Tuesday. Some conversations that we we're already starting to have on our best ball streams on Wednesday. Uh, again, really encourage you guys uh, for those best ball streams to check it out on YouTube. I understand maybe not, you know, the most pristine audio only experience, but we are out here trying to, you know, as the old adage goes, help teach everyone how to fish, not necessarily just go give you the fish. You know, it's pretty easy to go through. Hey, here are my top 10 wide receivers ahead of 2022. Uh, you know, a little bit harder to actually go through each and every day depth chart and have the strategy the philosophy behind going into the drafts hey other fantasy analysts they can do they can do their thing uh but you know this is why Dwayne and i are you know sitting here three hours at a time in march and stuff trying to figure this stuff out because we want to make all of you smarter go get some freaking money in those pockets by the time august september comes around so thank you as always for tuning in for Dwayne. i'm ian this has been the pff fantasy football podcast until next time take care everybody